A huge court ruling entirely changes the game for NCAA, NIL, and maybe the future of college athletics. We get into our takes next about that. In addition, court storming. Do we like it? Do we not? Should it happen? Should it not? And of course, this week in college athletics for Wisconsin, basketball, and a new coach in football. Lots to get into. I'm Rajiv. He's Justin. It's the Bucky Report. Welcome to the Bucky Report, your destination for all things Wisconsin Badgers. Authentic takes. Oh, my God. Game analysis. Touchdown, Badgers. Ring one up. And discussion from the fan perspective. Thanks for joining us. And on Wisconsin. Welcome into the Bucky Report. We are your hosts, Rajiv and Justin, back together on a Sunday afternoon Talk about all things Wisconsin Badgers football and basketball. We are at the Bucky Report on Twitter, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcast. If you like what we're doing, hit the subscribe button uh, so you know when we make new, fresh content. On today's show, we talk about the NCAA versus the NIL, the new court ruling of a federal judge in Tennessee that basically is now saying that NCAA really can't control anything that happens with NIL. What's the future look like? We talk about court storming. Yesterday, Kyle Filipowski from Duke got hurt. So we got to talk about that. That's a new story. Do we like it? Do we not? Where do we go from here? What's the right solution for court storming? We also talk about basketball. The, the Badgers got back in the win column with a win against Maryland. We talk about that. Who was our player of the game? All things related to the end of the season. Only four games left. And of course, Luke Fickle hires a new defensive line coach and EJ Whitlow. What do we think about that? How does that affect the D-line room. Justin's going to talk all about that. You know, he loves recruiting. He's going to get into that as well. So, Justin, how you doing, my friend? Happy Sunday. Doing good. It's been too long since we last week. We had to figure out a way to get some of these middle-of-the-week ones going again. Oh, no, it's hard when it's in the offseason, right? It because, is. like, you know, there's not, like, there's not a lot of good football stuff and basketball. Like, we had a bye week this week. Our we didn't play this all weekend, over the place. So. Yeah, it's, it's hard to do it. And, yeah. honestly, you guys have spoken. You you like the football talk more than you like the basketball talk. <laughs> so I can appreciate that a little bit. And I understand it. So do I. I just this is this is our outlet to get some of that stuff out. But yeah, that's right. It's been that's a frustrating right. basketball year. We've been uh, talking one, down. Right. One uh one little program note I want to talk to you guys about. Um March Madness is coming up. We are planning a March Madness special episode in the evening of Selection Sunday. So obviously Selection Sunday is around. I think 6.30 Eastern maybe. So it'll be after that. It'll be after some of those after shows. We'll do kind of like our typical like later evening Sunday show. We're going to hopefully get Ryan Herrings on, hopefully some other special guests. We're going to break down our full brackets. I'm working on some cool graphics for the show. So look forward to a full March Madness special uh, because last year uh, we couldn't do March Madness because we weren't in it. But this year we're actually going to be in March Madness, which is pretty fun. So we'll we'll do that. Um, All right. So... If you haven't watched the news this week or watched ESPN and all that stuff, lots of big news coming out with the NCAA um, and a court ruling that basically says this. So let me kind of break this down and we're going to get into our thoughts on it. So the NCAA um, actually had issued violations. So I think Florida State basically saying that you can't negotiate and talk to players as part of the recruiting process. You basically can't dangle NIL in front of them as part of that recruiting process. You can only sign those contracts when they are actually enrolled at your school. Obviously, we know that's not the reality. You're inducing people to come to your school through the transfer portal or recruiting um, because of NIL. So there's first of all, there's a lot of great publications that talking about that talk about this. 
in the show notes for this show, there are three articles that I link to. Uh, Dan Murphy from ESPN, um, Rishikesh Rajagopalan from CBS News, and Nicole Auerbach from The Athletic. We're going to put some quotes on the on the, on the the screen, too, so you can read them along with us to talk about kind of what this ruling means, some of the statements that were made. But definitely check those articles out. Really good articles that I um, use for my research for, for today's episode. Um, let's first, first start with this one. This is Nicole Auerbach from The Athletic, kind of explaining a little bit about what's going on. She says, as NCAA lawyers, continue to argue um, for the organization's longstanding business model, Friday's order creates an entirely new legal environment in the recruiting space. Athletes and their representatives can now meet with and sign deals with collectives without fearing an NCAA investigation or the potential loss of future eligibility. Before Friday, NCAA rules allowed coaches to and collectives to share information about a prospect's potential earning power, but they could not sign prospects to contracts before they enrolled. That is no longer the case. Here is the statement from the judge. This is from CBS News. Um, that's what this where this excerpt came from. This is from U.S. District uh, Judge Clifton Corker. Without relief, the NCAA will continue to reprieve plaintiff states athletes of information um, about the market value of their, for their NIL rights, thereby preventing them from obtaining full fair market value for those rights. Their their labor generates massive revenues for the NCAA, its members, and their and their other constituents in the college athletics industry. None of whom would dare accept such anti-competitive restrictions on their ability to negotiate their own rights. Those athletes shouldn't have to either. So obviously, that's just kind of the judge saying, "Look, the NCAA makes a ton of money, and they really cannot." They can't have these antitrust laws, these anti-competitive laws saying you're not allowed to go out and, and get your money however you want. So now the NCAA basically has no control over the NFL. Here is the last statement. Here's the NCAA statement. Turning upside down rules overwhelmingly supported by member schools will aggravate an already chaotic college collegiate environment further diminishing protections from student-athletes from exploitation. The NCAA fully supports student-athletes making money from their name, image, and likeness and is making changes to deliver more benefits to student-athletes. But an endless patchwork of state laws and court opinions make clear partnering with Congress is necessary to provide stability for the future of all college athletes. Justin, what is your initial take on all these things with the NCAA, the NIL? What do you think is fair? What do you, you think? You want my honest perspective on I absolutely what, what I view this? I think people need to get ready for a whole lot of greasy, dirty, like back the way this is going to work out now. You want all the, all I hear is all these people saying, yeah, these kids need to, they deserve the right to get all the money they can get their hands on, whatever. You know what the opposite side of this is? Schools now saying, you know, that medical retirement that we were going to give you that allows you to still be maintain being a student. Why are we going to hold on to all this? this financial burden of you when we can just fire you just like an employee and be like, yeah, you're never going to, you're never going to see the field for us. So we're going to cut you loose. You're an expense that, that we don't have any reason to, to, you know, keep on, on hand anymore. I think what's going to end up happening is a lot of the rights that players have had where it was just like, this is the expectation of things that you have because you're a student and affiliated with the institution is going to probably go out the window. Because I think they're going to look at it and be like, you want to be an employee, we'll make you an employee. If you want the ability to jump ship and go over where you want to go at any given time, guess what? We're going to treat it the same way. And now those protections that you were hoping that you had were, you know, if you got a scholarship, they're year to year. They may reassess it and say, I'd rather have that scholarship free 
and go chase after another kid that can come in either through the portal or for through recruiting. Because if you don't look like you, you're going to be a player who's going to likely, you know, provide anything to them, why should they keep you on? And I think that's a potential there for a lot of dirty business that's going to happen with some of this. Now, some of it's been happening. I just think it can escalate beyond where it's been so far. Um, I honestly think what we're going to see here, a lot of it's already been happening. And now it's just the, the mouth that it's coming out of. Like, do you honestly believe that these kids aren't going to the school and, and kind of back channel being told what they're probably going to get? Of course they are. Of course so they what, are. What difference does it make between the head coach saying it and some NIL shill? Other than the fact that I guess you could go on your recruiting visit and sign a contract and be like, that might be the low-key area where things get really sketchy. They might, you know, we have NIL or, uh, yeah, your national letter, letter of intent right now. Some of these schools may be like, I'm offering you this contract right now. It's here until you leave your visit. If you leave your visit without signing this, your scholarship offer is gone. And they'll, they'll put pressure on them in different ways. It's another way where you can lock some of these kids in where previously you couldn't. And I think that that's where this can get really ugly, too, for the kids is a lot of pressure put on them to potentially make decisions that they're not ready to make. And it could really throw, honestly, recruiting upside down. Um yeah, you know what? It's going to just throw college sports upside down in general. I think this is a whole new world that we're living in. Like, look, okay, so first and foremost, do the players deserve to make money off of their NIL? For sure. In my opinion, absolutely they do. The, the, these schools have made millions of dollars, millions of dollars. Now, those millions of dollars do support other athletic departments, other other sports in the athletic department. I understand that. Um, but obviously, these universities, the conferences, I mean, look at the Big Ten's media deal, for goodness sakes. Like, mm -hmm. it's billions upon billions of dollars um and obviously the, the players weren't really seeing any of that right that's obviously the point that's what the, the the judge statement said is that the players really weren't a part of that so now they've got to get paid but what this hat what happens is now you're just murking the waters because you have yeah. amateur sports right and then you're kind of moving it into pro sports so my view is I think at this point you need to just, it's a pro sport. That's basically yeah. what this is, right? Like, because at this point, what, what, what I don't like is that players can transfer in and out as they want to, which again, I understand why they should be able to do that, but they can literally, it's a one-year contract, right? Coaches are upset because they can't field rosters. They can't, you know, manage their own roster because every year a player can just leave and take more money elsewhere, which is why I think yeah, absolutely need contracts. Okay, because that's where this is going. If a player is going to get paid, which I they have every right to get paid, they are making lots of money out there. People are watching them. We're talking about them. We have a show to talk about them. I get it. They should make money. But then there's got to be some controls in place, right? You mm -hmm. can't just have a guy oh, yeah. that gets paid $500,000 to go to Wisconsin or Ohio State or whatever. And then a year later, they're like, oh, but Alabama's going to pay me a million now. No. You get five hundred thousand. You, you're signing so, a two-year deal or a three-year deal, and that scholarship comes with it. I'm not saying it has to be four, but I do think that there has to be some kind of of a marriage between the pro and amateur level, and basically say, look, you got you, you're going to have to commit a little here if you want the freedoms of being able to go to any school you want, transfer as much as you want, and get paid. Then there's got to be some controls. If you're going to get paid X amount, maybe it's X number of your commitment. <clears throat> 
versus maybe it is just a one-year thing because the school doesn't want to actually they don't know if the guy's going to turn out right they don't know if they're really going to be that guy so they're not going to put all their eggs in that basket but if they're going to give him a smaller amount maybe it's a one year that's it, it seems like justin that's where we're headed we're headed towards contracts with these players because how else do, can you really control the wild west that is becoming college athletics you know what would be really interesting and i don't know if this is a possibility i haven't seen it in any sports league ever if they came up with the concept of a non-compete clause effectively inhibiting a kid from being able to go out and transfer and just saying you signed a four-year contract with us if you choose to leave before that contract has been completed you are not able to play within so-and-so conference or whatever during the, the period of that time now there's kind of been some some of that talk previously where they would block transfers to other schools that was just kind of you know a kid in basketball may try going someplace in the Big Ten, and the school may say, we're not allowing you to go anyplace in the Big Ten. Like, that was some of the things that that happened previously. But I'm very curious to see how this plays out, because you know, you know lawyers are really going to get involved with all this now oh, and man. start working for ways to do it. And I think the teams do need some protections, because it's all in the favor of the player right now, because it's the Wild Wild West. Like. They can, and, and to be fair, the gun. players also need protection because we we they had that whole thing with the agent this year. Like, well, so that's just like I said too. With totally, the, and and I'm so everyone needs protections, right? By the way, a lot of people in the comments here. I'm going to put up some comments here. Thank you all for joining us live. And if you're listening to this later, please leave your comments in the YouTube yeah. or or tweet us about it. We definitely want people's opinions on this. We know there's going to be a lot of opinions on this in the court storming. We'll pop up as much as we can. We might have to do another comment show just to bring those up. So if you're listening to this later, please do comment. Um, so Tyler Schreiber says. Kids are supposed to handle all this without an agent. That's crazy. Who's advising these kids? Tyler, that's a good point. I mean, that's the thing, right? Well, it's like, where does where where, where do the kids get that protection as well? I, I think they will be. And I think what, what it comes down to now is how do you handle this? Do you have legal aid provided to them as something through the, the university that is not directly affiliated with the university in any way where it's just, hey, you get this level of you know sponsorship or whatever to have somebody work with you? Or do you do they just go out and get a lawyer? Like, let's be honest. Some of these kids are probably making 500k a year now, if not more. And if you have that, maybe you should have a lawyer be looking over all your stuff. Well, an agent, right? I mean, that's what agents are, right? That's like you're going to need pro level agents. Greg Lincecum, good friend of the show. When is there going to be some some guidelines in place for NIL this in the portal? The I think issue. that's. Totally. And that, and that's really what's happening right now, Greg, because now the NCAA cannot make those guidelines because at this point they've clearly, the, the, the judge has clearly said, now this case is not over, by the way, this is a preliminary injunction. Mm -hmm. The full case has not been heard, but for now, these are the, these are the rules that are in place. By the way, Greg, see that W behind me. Thank you so much for that. That was incredible. Still working um, on getting mine set up. Yeah. I hope you got my thank you card, Greg. Um, listen, so I, that, that who knows, right? Like what, there has to be some guidelines because at this point, present day, Alabama's, Ohio State's, the Michigan's of the world, they can come into Wisconsin. <clears throat> oh, Jamel Howard's having a great uh, you know year next year. Oh, you know, like all these young guys, Will Pauling, these guys are great. Oh, let's go, let's go offer them two million dollars to come here. They can literally do that <clears throat> right now. That's not good for college sports. So I, the only thing I would say, good. and my biggest concern is from a collusion standpoint. I don't think this changes anything with the the communication with players. So what that means is if there's restrictions or, or a period where you're not allowed, which technically you're not supposed to be able to reach out to a player that's currently at another institution unless he hits the portal. So I think that that is still the, the rule in place. Now, the issue with that is 
I don't if think we're it gonna is, do all this stuff. Now. Yeah, I know what's happening. So, so what needs to happen here is ideally you have the Big Ten and the SEC get together and figure out the best way to handle this. And honestly, the best way I would say it is if you get caught back channeling to a player who is currently on a roster and has not entered the portal, I think you have to absolutely hammer that school with with something to to basically make it to the point where they they basically play above board. <clears throat> like that means postseason bans or whatever. I think of the Big Ten and the SEC, you have a lot of teams that would suddenly they'd perk up real quick and be like, oh, you're not gonna let us in the playoff if we get busted for back channeling somebody. And it's gonna it's gonna have to be like the actual SEC and Big Ten doing it. It can't be the NCAA because they're useless. Well, and that's that's the point. So so my understanding of this of this rule right now is that what you're talking about, that collusion is now allowed. You are you are basically saying like you can go induce someone. You can make to come offers directly, but I don't think I think the dark periods, I don't think you can actively reach out to a player because I think that that is still a rule that's in place. So you can offer through the institution, but I think I don't know if it changes the way communication is handled. I mean, that's the thing. It's we, we have literally the, every, all these rules against the NCAA, which has now been multiple because now like you, you can transfer as many times as you want. You don't have to have the, the sitting out, like all these rules that the NCAA have put in place for years are basically being broken down one by one. The NCAA is in essence falling apart mm-hmm. um, because they, their, their control over this sport is going away because uh, frankly, it's what's there's too much money involved mm-hmm. and they they've made too much money. The universities, the, the, the conferences, they've all made so much money that now it's like, Hey, if you're going to have this be a business, you can't control it. Like amateur athletics. You can't just say that you can't put these rules in place, which is why the only real solution is Justin to do contracts to where you're right. The big 10, the sec, the conferences have to get together, establish their own rules and then say, because the judge is basically saying you can't actually you, you can't stop this collusion. So now I've got to say, all right, X player, you can sign with me for two years and we'll give you this much NIL. After two years, if you want to look elsewhere, you can. But or maybe there's going to be mutual termination clauses. Like there's so much to unpack here and so much that gosh, who even knows what the rules are? I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. You put a comment up here from Greg Linscombe. I did, from Greg Linscombe. Would coaches have kids recruit other kids? My understanding is this is effectively how collusion is happening right now. Coaches will have a kid reach out to another player on another team, and I believe communication is allowed if the player initiates it, but I don't believe that the school can initiate it. So if the player reaches out and says, hey, I'm interested, I'm probably going to enter the transfer portal, you know, would there be would an opportunity be available to me if that were to be the case? If, say, I'm sure this happens all the time if a player wants to move closer to home for medical reasons for somebody within the family or whatever. I'm sure that stuff happens. I just know that the team's not allowed to effectively reach out and try to recruit you. So I think that that's where it kind of changes. Like the player has to initiate, and I that's probably how all of it's happening. They coaches go to a player and say, hey reach out to so-and-so see, you know, see if you can bend their ear a little bit. And if there there's any interest there, there's no way to track it. There's no way to tell it's actually happening. It's definitely how it's happening. happening. It's definitely happening. That's why, yeah. and that's why the only way to avoid that is contracts. Uh, yeah. Let's bring on a couple more comments here. Tyler Schreiber says at this point, it would be easier to just revenue share with them and pay them to play. It would be a lot cleaner. Ryan Willie says this could ruin college sports. 
Um, and then this one I thought was interesting. Will Hanna said, I can solve all the problems. Go back to how it was before the transfer and NIL BS. I mean, well, there's that, right? Like there, it basically like it, it, we, we didn't have these problems before NIL, but now again, it opens up this can of worms. Badger Borman says the coaches can't, but collectives can, there are no limits now. So, right. So there are, there really are no limits. That's what this ruling says. Like the coaches can't, but the collectives certainly can go oh, out yeah, there and say, the collectives like, have no direct affiliation with the institution. The collectives are the university basically saying, Hey, we can go, we're going to go get this Florida state guy. We're going to offer you a million dollars next year to come to Wisconsin. They can do that. The varsity collective itself can do that. And the other thing about this is so interesting. Justin is like this money that that's coming in to build these collectives are oftentimes coming from donors, right? So like mm -hmm. large boosters to the program that well can dry up, you know, like it's not just oh, going to yeah. be an endless supply of money unless you're taking revenue that's actually being brought into the program. Meaning, which of course, which a, a vast majority of that comes from television, unless the television revenue is going to work itself into this revenue model, like with the earlier comment that, that was put up about, you know, simply paying the players. I think that's really where who knows how long this can go because those those are those are people, right, that are actually, you know, funding the, the, the varsity collective and and groups of people. Like I even fund the varsity collective in a small amount, of course. But like it's it's really interesting to see like how far this is gonna go. Where does it come from? Tyler says the collectives can do whatever they want, though, right? Yes, they, they can, Tyler. Yeah, they're not directly they're not affiliated with the institution. It's a fascinating discussion. And I just think like so let me ask you this, Justin, does this, okay, so let's say we're, we get to the point of, you know, Big Ten, SEC, let's call them the ASC and the NFC, because in essence, that's what's happening, right? They're eventually yep. going to be 24, 25 team conferences. You're going to have 60 teams, basically double the NFL, right? So NFL's 32 teams. You're going to have like a farm system, like almost like a pro league farm system that, you know, high school kids are coming to these 60 schools that are, that are the powerhouses. Does this change your view of college football? I had a really good discussion. If you're not on the Locked on Badgers Discord, please do join that. I'm going to put the link in the, in the show notes. It's great. I mean, it's a great place to, to, to talk Badger stuff. I had a, a very good in-depth discussion with Badger and Bournemouth fan, playmaker, Ryan Eilers, about this. It was kind of like a two-on-two -two thing, and we were just going back and forth. But the discussion was, is it going to change college athletics? Do you feel... Do, do are you losing some like sort of nostalgia for college sports now? How do you feel this this actually sort of projects going forward for college sports in general? I'm I still love watching the football, but I am so frustrated with everything that's surrounding it that it's it's that that my level of frustration with that has gone through the roof compared to what it used to be. Now I also am a lot closer to it than I was before, so I know more things than I I previously did, but. There are, I, I don't know how you're going to be able to work this. Like all the things that we really enjoyed that we liked about how much, how hard the players played and seeing a, a walk on turn into a star and all that stuff. That feels like that's going out the window. Yeah. That stuff's just going to be gone. It's going to be, we don't have room for you. We need to be able to financially, uh, you know, take care of this person. A lot of those players feel like they're probably going to end up playing there's going to be what's going to happen is it's probably going to be the top 60. There's going to be like a group of five thing that I think will split up. It's going to be like, I think it will be somewhat similar to soccer. Like there's varying degrees of leagues. It feels like group of five is going to split off into its own thing for college football. And then there's going to be, you know, division one, a or division two. 
kind of like there is. And I think that there are ways for those other conferences to figure things out to make them financially, like, I think they get far more competitive in that regard. And if the football stays as quality as it's been, I think we will probably find a way to make that the finances for them will get better, but they've got to find a way, a model for themselves to, to really be able to draw in eyeballs and finances. And I think it's, there's, there is a model to, for it to happen. It's like minor league baseball and everything else. Like you can still make this a financially successful venture. You just have to figure out ways to make it work best for what your model is. And I think that's a playoff for that league too. Like if you end up having it, there's going to be things that people will like about group of five having its own playoff. And I think the football's still really good. Like the football's really good when you go down to like division three and stuff like that. If you watch some of the games, I used to watch the whitewater games when Leipold was still down there, but that was incredible football. The guys weren't as athletic, but there are ways to make this work now up at the top. I think that those leagues are the leagues that we're going to enjoy like the nostalgia a little bit more. The top up here, I think there's going to be a lot of frustration because it's going to be a lot of have and have nots. Wait, and that's yeah, where I mean, it, it, it potentially gets ugly because this could be very major league baseball. Totally. You have a team I mean, with a $200 million payroll versus a team with a third. It's like the Yankees versus the A's in Moneyball, where you're trying to find guys who will kind of piece together a roster. Based and then that's that's really back. interesting because you're right. Like it, it's it, it's totally wild west at this point. Like will will there eventually need to be a salary cap? You were talking about this before the show. Like I do you need to, to do you need to cap these teams at a certain number? Like the only you know obviously the only football has like a hard cap. Like you know I mean a hard cap is really the only way to have true parity in in a sport. But maybe that's where this is going. But I, either way you cut it, it's going into a, just a total professional situation. Bo Dragon says, wonder how much money the players will get when the NCAA new NCAA football comes out. It's $600, Bo. That's uh, like what that's well, what they get and a free copy of the game. Apparently. So that's what everyone's baseline is. Yeah. If you be, if you're somebody who has additional value and this is why it's driving me nuts with all the talking heads talking about it, they are actively giving out additional money to people who are like more well-known players to basically spotlight the game. So what they're, they're being doing is they're going to be putting stuff out on their Twitter and whatnot and, putting out ads and stuff for them. And that's where they're going to pay the players that are bigger stars because they're, they're a microphone for the game. They have additional value, but they wanted a baseline of this. And this is where I, it drives me nuts. Some of these guys wouldn't have gotten a penny like two years ago. So getting a 600 bucks in a free game. Sure. Why not? And it gives you an opportunity to grow further with your, you know, everything that you have on there. I think they're one of the other things that's going to end up happening with it, because this is just how EA works. There's going to be player things and boosts and stuff like that. And different versions of players and stuff like that, where they end up having additional revenue that they likely can directly affiliate to a player. Like, Oh, have this special version of so-and-so and and they'll have additional 10% or 15% of that whatever the sales are on that, that they get. Right. Greg asks, is NIL money being taxed either state or federal? I'm sure it's being taxed like any other income. It has to be right. Or you're going to get nailed for tax evasion. It's still, it's still revenue. Um, Tyler Schubert says college sports has gone down a rung for me. I feel more loyal to my school than the players. I used to feel they were as loyal as me. Now the movement of players and the money has taken away from that. So here's my perspective on this, where I am on college. Look, I love college sports. Obviously, I mean, we any if you're if you're listening to this show, you love college sports. Um, 
it does have a nostalgia for me. And this is what I was saying online the other night. I don't think it's really like changing all that much in the sense of these players are still wearing Wisconsin jerseys. Now I know they're getting paid to be there. Yes. And that's fine with me because we're paying a lot of money to watch them. We're either getting Peacock subscriptions and all this nonsense. So like it's still, when you put on that shirt, that's when I'm a fan of yours, right? When you're wearing Wisconsin, like that's what that is. That's not going away. The pageantry of college football doesn't actually go away. In my opinion, I think that we've got to figure it out. You can't just have the system as it is now. This is not good enough. You can't have a player that can transfer in and out of a school whenever they want to because they're going to get more money elsewhere or they're going to get more playing time elsewhere. Like, no, you've got to have systems in place to where you have to you know, commit to a number of years the school also has to commit to the player for the same time. Like there has to be mutually, um, you know, beneficial contracts, but I think it's still college football because it's not really about the fact that they're yes, they're student athletes, but I mean, I don't, I don't really focus on, you know, like what classes they're in, what major there is. They're wearing my shirt. They're wearing my team's colors. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be rooting for them just like a pro team, right? Like when, when the, when the Colts suit up, I don't care who the players are. They're on. They're my players because they play for my team. They're wearing my shirt. So I feel like that to me, you the the schools are going to have to work to really maintain that. Like they have to work to maintain that pageantry and all that. What comes with college football? But at the end of the day, they're they're the be, you want the best players on the field. You want the best product, right? So I don't think that's really going away. I think it just needs to be fixed. Whatever this is right now, we are in this weird limbo period that this is not sustainable, right? Yeah. Like coming in and out, like the money here and there, the NIL money, these random NIL, NIL agents, it all has to be regulated. The schools, the presidents have to get together, the Big Ten SEC, the Power Five, whatever it be. You've got to get your heads together and work it out. The product can be great, but it needs to be fixed now. Like there has to be people sitting around a table, getting together and finding solutions. But I, so it doesn't necessarily ruin college football for me. It just, but it has to be made better and there has to be proper rules in place. And then I don't think it's going to affect things, but I, I do hear the argument that college sports are not going to be the same. I hear that. And I understand that. And I'm just, maybe it's just wishful thinking for me because I love college football so much. I don't want it to go away. I don't want it to be lost. And so I'm hoping that it's really not going to be that bad. Uh, a couple more comments here. Kevin says, when do the college players start having to pay their own way for school? Then instead of a college scholarship that they're getting paid, there's obviously that piece of it. Badger Bormas says, will players even have to go to school? They will be employees. This is an interesting point. I mean, I, I think, think there has to be something in your contracts. to The, the with affiliation that. with the school, I think, is you're enrolled, right? You're still going to school there because it's still a college, and I'm still okay with that. I think that needs to be there. They're just college students now getting paid to be there. It is, it's a murky, right? It's this weird line of... Well, if you're if they're, if they're signing contracts, they in essence are employees. They're they're contracted employees, but they still have to go to school. They have to maintain GPA. Do they? Should they? Like, I mean, you know, I mean, I'm obviously big on the academic stu stuff. Like, I, I I like those things. I've said that many times on this show and locked on. But now you're getting into this weird world of pro and amateur. And where's the line? Where do you draw it? How do you work it? It's, well, and we've seen with the NIL stuff a whole bunch of issues already where kids will get contracts thrown at them and say, we're going to pay you this much. And that, that it just, the money just disappears. Like it ends up going to another player or whatever. Like there needs to be regulation associated with just for that type of stuff, where 
if you are offering a certain dollar value, I think it needs to, they need to find a way to have that held in trust or something like that to say, all right, you've put this on the table. That money needs to be accounted for. And we have to show that it's available to the player, not so that it's, you know, you're basically making stuff up just to get them in the door. Cause I think that that's part of the deal. And I think that there's bigger restrictions with that. There needs to be penalties with some of it. If you're going to offer a kid $2 million to come play for your school out of high school or as a transfer, you should be able to put it in there that, Hey, under the penalty of this, if you leave before this contract's up, it's null and void. And you, it's all gone. The money is, is now back to us. And I think that that's the way you do it is you have to say, yeah, this contract is valid, but if you choose to invalidate it, then we're taking everything back or charge some type of penalties because the schools need to protect themselves. The players need to protect themselves too. And I think with the players, it's more so we're not just going to boot you out of here and say that you're gone. Um, And that they also need to make sure that the money that is being offered to them is actually truly being offered. We saw what happened with, uh, what was it? Florida, the quarterback last year where they put the deal out and the money just didn't disappear. And he ended up going to, was it Arizona? Well, that's the thing. It's, there's got to be things in place. Like, yeah, you can't just make promises that aren't kept at that point, right? Yeah. That's the, that's on the and that's what's happening with a little bit. Right. Steve Davis says, fans may dilute themselves into it being the same, but it's not. Athletes are not going to be around in a lot of cases to care. <clears throat> okay, so Steve, I think my, my retort to this is like, I don't think it's, they go, it's kind of like that now though, is it not? I mean, the, 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 yeah. these guys are there for four years, they they go where they feel like they've got the best opportunity to get to the league. They go where they feel like they get the most NIL money. Now it's going to be more about money. It's not going to be more about like the school, that feeling you get. And I understand that is lost. Like that is something that's different now. And the NCAA still wants it to be, you pick the institution because of the academics, which would be great. But the reality of this situation is now with big money, college football, big money, college basketball, it's just different. Like, I I am still one who cares about the academics and the nostalgia of it, but I, it's such a hard thing for me to even reconcile in my there, own head. You know, like how do I? I don't even know how I feel about it in so many cases because there just has to be some level of regulation associated with right. it, and it has to be like a cent. There has to be like a central board or whatever, or some type of conference. You know, like we were talking about with the Big Ten and SEC, where everyone's got to kind of report their stuff so that we actually have some level of accountability with it. Because right now it seems like we're just going based off of whatever national guidelines are for running these nonprofits or whatever they are for NILs. And there's, as long as they're reporting their figures accurately from a tax standpoint, that's as far as it goes, they need to find a way to actually make sure that everything is above board for the kids and for the schools going forward. And that people aren't doing sketchy stuff i mean we've seen so much sketchy stuff mr nil agent you know what's his name coming through there's there's so much stuff with this some of this stuff that we need to just have they need to set something in place because what's happening is and you're right this is not something that is that will remain the way it is because it's going to take a couple of schools getting really burned on a cycle where they end up putting these huge deals out that players don't stand up for it i'm sure there's a lot of verbiage in those contracts that if a player doesn't do, because there's it's not pay for play, but if there's certain things in them, I'm sure a lot of the contracts already are going out the window because kids don't know how to protect themselves. And I guarantee the people who are setting up those deals definitely know how to protect themselves from losing on them. The other thing about this is the last thing we'll touch on this is um, 
Tyler said earlier today, uh, more coaches will pull a Jeff Halfley and leave the sport for the pros. No good coaches want to work this hard to recruit 24 seven. So this is an interesting point that we haven't really touched on yet. Justin, the coaches in this, like, are you, is this going to be so, is it going to become such a toxic system for coaches to deal with? They're, they're going to want to get out. They're going to be like, you know what? Screw this. We're going to go to the NFL. We're going to go be a, a positional coach in the league or XFL or whatever to get out of this madness. Will well, it drive coaches away? Do you think? Or do you think I, that, look, there's always an endless supply of these people because more and more people would want that. Like there's always going to be people that want those jobs. I think that there's going to be a regulation is what's going to clean up a lot of it. Like you're going to have to find ways to make it so that it's not so chaotic. And I know some people will be like, well, this is how the job market would work. And it's like, well, okay, yes. But there's also a lot of things that, you know, the schools can do and stuff like that. Where normally, like, like I brought up non-compete clauses in the real world. If you're working for a company that's a top level company and you have a competitor that's out there, typically if you're a high producer, they'll put a non-compete in and you're just done for two years or whatever. You know, that'd be like Michigan saying you can't go to Ohio State. They're a direct competitor with us or, you know, Oregon or whoever. Some of this stuff is what's going on in the real business world. And if that's the where we're going to go, there's a chance that that's the way, like, unless they're going to do this and base it off a model of like the NFL or some other league where we're going to salary cap or whatever with some of this, it's going to follow the regular business world. And there's going to be things like that that are written into contracts where it's, if you're going to be direct, if NIL is going to be directly affiliated with us, we're going to set in protections for ourselves so that you're not just jumping ship to somebody that we don't want to see you at. However it shakes out, it's a very interesting discussion and there's a lot more to come from this. This is by no means over and we're going to keep our kind of ear to this and we'll keep talking about it. Leave your comments in the, in the YouTube comments um, after the show. If you watch us later, uh, tweet us about it, send us DMS. would love to get people's opinions. We'll kind of put it more collectively and, and add another show sometime and, and talk more about this as new court rulings come out. We'll definitely get more into this. Uh, it's, it's fascinating discussion and the future of everything that we are talking about on this show is changing and we don't really know how and when. Um, another big story in college basketball, and before we even get into Wisconsin stuff, <clears throat> yesterday Wake Forest beat Duke, and uh, it was a big game. Wake Forest uh, was favored by two and a half. They actually won the game, and then you have the typical court storming, which you know you see oftentimes in college basketball. Uh, Kyle, what's his last name? Filipowski um, was injured. Uh, whether it was intentional or not, there's different angles. You, ESPN did a whole breakdown of of the camera angles because you know Duke is Duke and Duke gets whatever. But um, they so, so you know this guy gets run into. He hurt his knee. You saw a lot of people like you know kind of rallying around him. Duke's yelling at players as they're getting off the floor, and it's the whole thing. So the question has now been brought up, and Caitlin Clark uh, recently, the Iowa uh, superb basketball player, also. Um, <clears throat> got hit looked like she kind of just fell over but there was that thing that happened um so it brings up the question now court storming and whether or not it's appropriate in college sports should it continue where are we with court storming now i will just give you my my take on this i went to wisconsin as you guys know i sat front row for the devin harris years i stormed the court multiple times when we won big 10 championships it was great um, I remember the first thing I remember I hugged Kirk Penny one time right off the right running on the floor. I loved it. I thought it was awesome. And I do think court storming still has a place in college basketball. And I know a lot of people in the comments disagree. 
please put in your disagreements up there. We'll, we'll pop them up on the screen. Um, and I, I know that some people will say it's, do, is it, was, do we really need to do the court streaming? Is it really important? Let me tell you something. If you've ever done it, it's really fun. Okay. It's really, really mm -hmm. fun. And it's a tradition of college basketball. Now, that being that's said, I don't want players getting hurt. I don't want people getting hurt. I think Filipowski, like that sucks. I, I hope he gets better, even though we all hate Duke because 2015 will be a, a memory that will never go away for us. Um, but I'm a big fan of like have a situation where you have a countdown, right? 20 seconds or something like the game's over and the lights are kind of flashing. You put up a countdown and it gives the other team a chance to get off the court. Okay. Get, get the other team off the court. That's fine with me. I understand that you don't want players to get hurt. Get your team off the court, but I don't want that leaving college basketball. I like the court storming. I think it's a fun thing. It's a tradition. Where where are you on this court storming situation? I, I honestly don't even think it needs to go that far as a countdown. I think what you need to do is you just need to set a guideline of like, when this happens, here is your exit for for the other team, and just say, hey, they're going to be limit where the people can get onto the court from. And if you do that, that gives you the option also to say. Well, if you're players, this is the area we want you to head when this is going to happen. And just start to set those plans up beforehand. You know, maybe make that something that you you bring up to the, each team before a game and just say, hey, in the event of this happening, this is where you need to go. Get out of the way so that when everyone comes running in and just running rough shot through the court, that you guys just don't get leveled. So my my first listen, my first op I mean my first first perspective on this is if it, I was a player on the court, I'm getting out of the way. Like I'm moving out of the middle of the court when that clock goes up. And a lot of the times, unless it's a last second shot where somebody drills it, you know, it's going to be happening. Like, just get out of the way. Like if a guy, if you're up 10 and somebody's dribbling it out with five seconds left, get off the court, get out of the way. And then you don't have to worry about it. It's not that often that it should be a problem. We've been doing it for 70 years now or whatever. I mean, I, I can still remember the Camp Randall event that happened when we beat Michigan. They didn't stop doing it for that, and that was a heck of a lot more of a major incident than some Duke player getting a twisted ankle. Right, so that incident, of course, I think it was 90, I don't know, it was 95 or 96, something like that. Later. Yeah. Um, there, there were, there were people that got that hurt and died. That was a horrible incident for the university. Now, when I was in college, we stormed the field, um, once that I can remember we beat Ohio state. That was, they were number one. We were number 19, I think. Um, and obviously there was a lot of discussion going into that game because they obviously made it very clear that you could not do it before then, um, after the incident that happened. And what they, what they did was they actually allowed us onto the field. One of the problems that happened in the mid nineties, when you had that incident at Wisconsin was that they, they kept people away from doing it. And when, when you have a whole student people section trying to come on the field and you're, yeah. and you're preventing them, you have problems and that's what happened. So then it was, okay, don't rush the field. Okay. Just go, just go. And that's what you have to do. You have to let them go. So look, for as far as basketball goes, I get, I get the whole thing. I get why people think it's, it's, it's silly. Do you really need to do it? I just think it's a fun tradition that I don't really want to lose. I'm going to put up a couple of comments here that came in earlier before, as we were starting the show, Ryan Willie said, court storming needs to go. One way to discourage court storming or field storming is to strip scholarships from students. Tyler says court storming has gotten out of control in the sense that we're storming courts for any team inside of the top 10. It feels like in my opinion, it should be reserved for the top three, maybe top five at the most. I think we are doing it a little much. Like it is, it is a I little bit like that. 
But I think like every it time really Purdue, depends on the level of the teams. Like you could have a bad team that somehow ends up – it could be their entire season in that game. Like that that's the biggest thing that happens all year. If you have a that, team that's like under 500 that takes down a top 10, that's a huge accomplishment. Which, yeah, totally. And I feel like it's it's really up to the fans, right? The fans yeah. in, that, in that arena at that moment will kind of feel whether or not they think it's an appropriate thing to do. Sometimes you watch a game, you're like, really? You're going to yeah. storm this court for that? We've obviously had the court stormed on us. <clears throat> Even this year, we've Purdue. Every time Purdue loses, it's a court storming incident. Of course, mm -hmm. when you're a top five team, this happens. So, you know, like I don't think we need to necessarily control when we do it. I do think there needs to be something in place. Like I understand the need to protect players. I don't want anyone hurt. Like I remember running onto the court when the opposing players were kind of like quickly trying to get to the sidelines. I, you know, I was dodging around some of them. But I get it. And I don't think it's the intent of anyone to go and hurt those players. Now, it might be for some people. And yeah. if it was for the guy at Wake, then shame on him. But I don't think it was. I mean, it's hard to say. But at the end of the day, you're right. you got to get the players off the court. And maybe there is a situation where it's like, okay, we have security there. Give us 10 seconds. Get the players off and then go ahead and do it, right? Go celebrate with the team and do all those things. But that being said, that's what I want it to stay. I do think think that something is going to change because sadly when anything happens to duke things have to change because duke is duke um and this and obviously john shire made a huge thing nine at halftime i mean gosh it's crazy <laughs> so I, I i do think that <clears throat> it will change my prediction is that we will have a rule in place that will stop court storming and if they do then the team the, the home the home team will get penalized in some way do i agree with that no because i want court storming to stay in there but i think that if players are getting hurt now it's you know caitlin clark got pushed down of course and then you have this um, kyle filipowski you're going to probably see something change and then anytime you have an incident like this that's dominating the news and people are discussing it on pods and things like that things are probably going to change i just hope it doesn't because I really like the tradition and I don't want it to go away. But, you know, we'll see. I think Jason, part of the issue is with some of this is that we also, there's been, as time has changed with social media and everything like that, people feel like they can get away with more to an extent. And their behavior is, is we, we just don't punish those for, for acting out and doing things that are inappropriate. Now, I'm not saying that people are going out there trying to hurt players and stuff like that, but people do really stupid things now that I think in the past, like we would have, it would have been, you're going to, you're going to end up in a squad car. And yep. now it's like, well, they may sue us or whatever. And we have all this other stuff that potentially is a ramification of some of the things, or we may get bad PR if we handle it this way. And it's like, just can we, if somebody's being stupid, let's just punish them for being stupid. Can we just, all agree on that and figure out a way to make that happen. Yeah. I mean, that it would be great if you could, but you're right about that though, by the way, that's a really good point. Like the world that we live in is different mm -hmm. and you're going to get people doing really stupid things and they're going to, they're going to try to, you know, having <clears throat> their phone in a player's face who just lost a game that is highly emotional. Like we, we saw it in some of the football stuff. I think some kid was running on the field. He got leveled by a player and it's like, if you're going to shove your camera in a, in a player's face when he's in that moment, they deserve the right to space. And they've just played their butt off and lost a, maybe a close game and some of that. I I do not feel bad for that, and I think you kind of get what you paid for in that situation if you're somebody that's dumb enough to get into that situation. 
it probably was going to be the player probably was the one that took all the punishment from it. But in my opinion, the kid who decided that it was acceptable for him to do that to that player is the one that we should be looking at and saying, no, 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 no. If you're going to be a jackass, then we're going to go ahead and we're going to, you, you did this to yourself. We're not going to sit here and, and say that your behavior is acceptable because it definitely wasn't. Right. Joe Badger, he says some schools form a fence with staff. And once the visiting players leave, they release the students. Jason Gelden says 93 was a fence blocking the kids from entering the field and then an avalanche of people pressing against each other. Yes, obviously that's why that, that rule changed. That was a horrible incident. Um, Jeff Olson says not close to having enough security yesterday. Bo Dragon court storming is played out. The kids are just doing it to film themselves. Um, don't badger me says the student who knocked knees with Kyle took a share, took a share of the force spinning to the ground. He went down badger Bournemouth common sense. Isn't that common, Justin? And you are right. Jeff Olson says different conferences have fines for court storming. Yeah. So I, I think there, there needs to be some kind of rule put in place. We do need to keep players safe. Personally, I don't want it to go away. I know some people are okay with it going away. I like it, but yeah, we can't have people getting hurt. I think that's the one thing. And nobody wants anybody to get hurt. I don't want that at all. It's not appropriate for that. And and there are people with nefarious intentions that are going to run on those courts and probably are going to try to do that. So, you know, like putting a line of security right in front of the, 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 the student section, you give it a few seconds, you let the players get off the court, and then you let the, the, the players storm. I think that's probably what's going to happen. Obviously, you know, conferences do it differently. Like we're hearing here, schools do it differently. They're gonna, there's gonna need to be something from conference heads to to say this is what needs to happen. Any other thoughts on this, Justin? No, I think. I mean, that's it. Kind of is what it is at this point. There's gonna be something that comes out of this, but I think it's really hard to say until. I mean, kind of like our first discussion. There are clearly things that need to happen with this. It's figuring out who's going to be the one in charge of it, and then taking it from there, and actually coming up with common sense policies to make sure that we can protect everyone. Yeah. All right. So let's move on to some Wisconsin stuff. Um, we haven't, we've been talking a lot about college sports today. It was good. It was, it's good to, topic to get into. Wisconsin got back in the win column this week by beating Maryland 74 to 70, I think was the final score. Not exactly the prettiest game out there, but a win is a win. We have four games left of the season. Um, Tyler Wall had a fantastic game. He was our our game MVP. Uh, just, I mean, he has just been playing really, really well lately. What did you? What was your initial takes on the the Maryland game? And how do you see us uh, finishing out the season? Uh, I guess I, I'm still accurate with what I have for my my. Uh, you you said prediction. one and four, did you not? Yeah. So so they got their one win. Get out of here. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, you know, it could be. Two I, and I said three. Like, I don't two, think I think we have right. a winning record over this. I think to me, Purdue and and Illinois are locks to be losses. I just don't see us. I earlier in the season, the way we were playing basketball, I think we could have beat Illinois. The way the team is currently playing, our defense isn't good enough to beat them. Like we're, we're just not playing clean enough in our other aspects, and the offense hasn't been clicking as much as it was. Now we we could have just flat out taken like beating them with our offense previously, maybe if we're if we had a hot night. I don't think we can get away with it. So I, I think two and three, I think is probably closer. They might be able to get three and two if they get lucky. I, I think Illinois and Purdue are, are locks to be losses for me though. I mean, Those are the two so, that I'm most likely in my opinion. So if you think Illinois and Purdue are likely are locks to be losses, then you think we beat Rutgers at home. And even then there's IU on the road. 
so my thing is, look, Purdue's a loss. Okay, that that that's the one that's yeah. guaranteed loss. That's Indiana's guaranteed. not. Indiana's not good. Okay, um, Indiana is has got beat by got beat at home recently um, to Ruck to Nebraska. Actually, Nebraska won on the road. Um, I think we can get that win. Now, Assembly Hall is a very tough place to play. That's it's not easy, um, but I think that we can definitely get a win there. I expect us to beat Rutgers at home. I expect us to beat Illinois at home. Because playing on the road is hard in the Big Ten. We know this. We've seen it countless times. 70% of games are won at home. Illinois is a good team, really good team. But so are we. Like, we're not a bad team. We're still third in the Big Ten Conference. We've had a, a bad run of games, yes, but we've still got a lot of athletes. We've still got a lot of people that can score. And if we're shooting well from the three, we absolutely beat, beat Illinois at home. So I think our only loss guaranteed is Purdue. And I think we can actually win all the rest. I'm not saying we're going to. My prediction was three and two in this kind of final stretch. So that leaves two and two left, which I think is fair. I think we do drop Purdue. We maybe drop Indiana because it's a road game. But if we beat Indiana, maybe we lose to Illinois at home. At the end of the day, though, we're good. We're in the tournament. I think we, we need to finish strong and finish in there because that top four seed will be nice to have in the Big Ten tournament to hopefully advance there to build up our, our NCAA tournament seed. A lot of people aren't big fans of the Big Ten tournament. That's fine, but it's a, it, but it will matter and where you, you end up getting seeded overall. Maybe you can get a few more quad one wins out of that. So I I'm, I don't know how I feel about that with this team. We've, we seem like we've worn down as the season goes on. I'm a little worried if they make a run in the Big Ten tournament that it may adversely affect us going into the NCAA tournament. Because with two games coming right away on that following weekend, I want them fresh. Like this team mentally and physically, I think, is just could use the extra time. If they can win a game and get out of it, then I'd be okay with that and just say, all right, we, we got one more under our belt. We'll move on and hopefully be ready to play and, and, and be fresh for that game, that first game. Uh, let's get a few comments in here. Some good stuff um, coming in here. Jason says Illinois at home is not a lock as a loss, especially if we get McGee back soon. Have you heard anything about McGee? Do you know as McGee? What's the story with him? I haven't you know? heard anything. And like I said, I think that I think the injury was fairly major. I don't. They're never going to yeah. tell us, right? But I wouldn't be surprised if if something was broken. I wouldn't be surprised if there were was ligament damage. We both saw how badly he was hobbling. Oh, it could have been a high ankle sprain, I guess, which. Who knows if that will be ready to go again by the end of the season? Basketball is not football. They're they're two very different sports. Mm -hmm. I don't mm -hmm. think you can play basketball on a high ankle sprain. You're gonna no, have to you can't. believe me. I've had many of them in my life, and you can't. Yeah. Tyler says, "Leave it to the Badgers to lose to Rutgers in Indiana, but somehow beat yeah, Purdue." Beat the others. <laughs> Badger and Borman said Purdue just lost at OSU, and this is this is my point. Tyler says, "Rajiv smoking the good stuff this afternoon. Rutgers a win probably. Indiana 50-50. Illinois and Purdue are losses. I don't understand." Look, it's really hard to win on the road. We know that. Illinois is not a you think Illinois a lock in Madison. Come on. Like they're they're coming on the road to one of the best teams in the Big Ten. I don't think that's a lock for anyone. If Purdue isn't a lock at Ohio State, how is Illinois a lock coming to Madison? And I, I know that well, you I mean we think that we're, we're not they're we're not we might lose it that. Depends game. on what you mean by lock. Like, I, I mean, mean, that's you, an upset. According to you, it's a lock. No, but I'm saying, like, per Purdue losing to OSU, nobody is calling that game. Like, that would be one of those games where you look at the percentages and it's like, there's an 85, 90% chance that Purdue wins this game. Yes, they happen, but odds are Purdue wins that game nine out of 10 times. Right. And odds if are. We're Illinois, 
I think with the way we've been playing as opposed to the way that they've been playing, they've been more consistent than us. I think that the talent levels offensively are probably fairly close. They might have a little bit leg up on there, and I think their defense is better. And I think Ken Palm would probably bear that out. Um, I think that game is going to come down to defense, and I just think that they're better defensively than we are. I mean, they they didn't look that great defensively when they played Iowa yesterday. Iowa was scoring all kinds of points on them, and Iowa kept it close for a long time at in Champaign, by the way. Um, but it, but they they ended up losing in the end. They, they ended up, I think they won by like ten. I I understand that like it's they're a good team, but we're playing at home. I just feel like we we're I don't I think in the end our only loss at home this year in the Big Ten will have been to Purdue. I believe that to be the case. I think we're winning the other games. Greg Linscombe asks, some writers have us as a four seed in the NCAA tournament. Do you agree? Justin does not agree. I, I Look, I don't think that we are we should be a four seed because I, we obviously know our team better than anyone else. That, that All the people listening to this show right now and that will listen to this later, you're, you're a Badger fan, so we know the team really well. Um, no, I don't think we're a four seed. I think we will end up being a five seed though in the, in the NCAA tournament because the NCAA loves us. Our strength of schedule is really high. Our net ranking is high. Our quad one wins are in, you know, innumerable. Like we, we have a good resume. There's no doubt about that. So for me, if you beat Illinois, um, and that's another huge win on your resume, you get a buy in the big 10 tournament, you win your first game in the quarterfinal. Um, and then you know, whatever happens in the semis happens, I think you're going to get a five seat. I think it would take a pretty epic, not collapse, but you're going to have to lose to Rutgers. Maybe you're going to have to lose in Indiana. You're going to have to lose. If you, if you maybe go one and three in these next four, then I think is at that point, you're basically 11 and nine to end the, to end the year. Maybe you're a six, but honestly, Justin, I don't think we're anywhere lower than a six because the the committee clearly loves us. If we win the next few games, let's say we go four and one in this last stretch, and we w- lose every, we win every game except Purdue. I think we 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 will be a four seed, which is surprising. But I think that will hinge on the Big Ten tournament. Maybe. I mean, it's a possibility. I w- I won't argue that. I think they need to be like a twenty four, twenty five, and ten type team. And if that, well, I guess they'd have eleven because there's going to be a Big Ten tournament loss yeah um but Jason. i was shocked what is the seed they're not going to be a three seed they have too many losses already and i just don't think we've been playing good enough basketball like i think the four seed stuff that's being driven right now is somebody's taking a look at our quad one and two wins well the like, oh, they have a the, ton of those but and remember the committee, the, at all. the committee actually listed us a four seed yeah. before no, so like, and that was before a loss. Okay. But what I'm saying is like, if you have, if you take that and you add in an Illinois win and maybe, a, maybe a Purdue and that's, that's not going to happen. But if we do win at, at Mackey arena, oh geez, then maybe you could argue with three, but I, I do think the more, I think the likely scenario is a five. That's my prediction. I think we're going to be a five seed. Most likely. I don't think we're in the top four line. Um, unless something big happens, like we beat Purdue, maybe we can win the Big Ten tournament. Anything like that can definitely get us to the to, to the four or three line. But I think most likely we're a five seed. Um, Bo Dragon says going from ranked six to unranked in two weeks isn't a collapse to Rajiv. Yes, that was a it was a really bad stretch, Bo. It was a really bad stretch. Uh, that was tough. That was very tough. What I guess what I'm saying is even after that law, even after those those Michigan and Rutgers losses. We were still, we still came into as a four. They still ranked us four after those epic losses because of our resume. Because 
in this conference, every team loses on the road. Not even this this conference, across college basketball, people lose on the road. So at the end of the day, I think that we can finish strong. We should be a top seed and anything can really happen. Um, all right, Justin, last thing to get into today, EJ Whitlow, new defensive line coach for the Badgers. What are your thoughts on this? How do you feel like this affects our defensive line recruiting? What are you looking at in the world of defensive line recruiting? And, and where do you think this, this kind of plays out for us? Um, I think he's a really good coach. Uh, I, I, Honestly, I'm just going to flat out say I have no clue with recruiting. It seems like his players really like him. Whether he can go head-to-head with some of the top guys that are out there for some of these other teams, listen, he has not had to go head-to-head with, you know, Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, Oregon, like all the teams, and that's just the Big Ten. So it will be really interesting to see how he projects. I think he will coach really well. I think the question will be what can he do from that standpoint if he's a capable recruiter. No matter what, I think he ups the baseline. Like I, we're not going to be getting the top, top cream of the crop defensive linemen most years. But can he get us close to that, where we're getting the high three star guys or guys a few four stars here and there? If he does what Scruggs was doing this last how long, I actually think he's a better actual coach than Scruggs, based off of his his resume. It seems like he constantly has guys that end up being all conference types. So if that's the case and we can get him to start maximizing some of these guys that we have, that bodes really well for him. And if that's the case, the recruiting will come. If you start doing really well with your players, you're eventually going to start looping in some guys that are going to be like, hey, he keeps getting all conference guys. And these guys aren't as athletic as I am. So he's going to start putting me in the league. And if that happens, great. I agree. I think that's really the key is the ability to coach them up, right? Because if you turn, he had a couple, he's had some success stories where he's been before. I think Matthew Judon from the Patriots is one of his guys. If you can coach them up and and show good production with maybe not the most elite level of recruiting, it can help drive your recruiting forward, right? Like that will come as long as we can, we, we have the talent producing on the field. Now, We've been pretty transparent about the fact that we don't love the the room. Obviously, that's pretty clear. The defensive line is an issue. Think about the message that it sends to fans, to recruits everywhere, if he can take the room that we have and get get it performing at a high level. So for me, it's not really about the recruiting. It's about the performances you're saying. You take guys like Jamel Howard, JTJ, Barton, you take these guys and you turn them into a proper functioning line and you find ways to get gains out of these guys to where we see James Thompson Jr. taking a jump. We see Jamel Howard filling up the line. We see Elijah Hills coming in and doing well. Like if you can get these guys to produce properly and better than the way they were last year and the expectation that we have coming to this year, that will really send kind of shockwaves through the team because at that point, now the defensive line can perform better. Now it has a domino effect into recruiting because all of a sudden you're producing these guys. They're they're getting gains. That to me is the big focus. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the defensive line is by far, I think we would both agree, it is the position group on this team right now that we have the biggest question marks at, right? Yeah. So we know that. So obviously it does beg the question because you're not bringing in some high-powered defensive line coach. But if you're bringing in a guy that that fits in well with what Trestle's trying to do, fits in well with the culture that Fickles is is building, I'm fine with it. 
but it's going to be a wait and see thing. I, I, my opinion is basically, I'll tell you how I feel in a, in, at the end of the season, because at that point we'll get a sense of how good of a coach was he maybe when the next class comes through, what is he getting out of it? So again, I'm still of the, I know this is kind of like a lazy thing, but I'm still of the in fickle. We trust situation because that's all we know. And if, if fickle believes that, that EJ can come in here and do a job and can coach up the D line in an area that we desperately need it, I'm good with it. I, I don't really have a lot of opinions either side. Yeah. Ultimately, we know the defensive line group has to get better, right? I mean, that's clear. Yeah, I mean, I think honestly, when I, it comes down to it, is I, I don't have an answer. Like, I can't tell you how good he's going to be as a recruiter. He hasn't had to recruit at this level before, so it's going to be a completely different world for him. Will he likely be able to get guys with more raw ability than what he's had in the past? For sure. I think that there's an opportunity here for him to find guys that are some diamond in the rough type guys because I think he knows what he's looking for. Part of the undersold thing here that people need to understand with the defensive line is we're just going to be targeting different guys in general, and that's going to show in the way that guys play going forward. So even if we're not getting top-tier guys, there are guys that are going to be better scheme fits going forward that are going to play better than what we've had in the past. And maybe the talent level won't be off the charts, but it will be an improvement because they fit what we're trying to do. Right now, I don't think that that's the case. We have guys that are kind of square pegs and round holes, and we're trying to make it work for the time being in order to get by. I'm hopeful that we take a step this year and it looks a little bit better. We have a couple of guys that are coming in and Johnson and, and Willer that look like they could be ready to hopefully give us a few snaps here and there, maybe add a little bit of disruption to this group. Maybe next year we get another three or four guys that end up showing some ability to fit with what we're trying to do. And that's a big step going forward that we have the opportunity to hopefully get this defensive line group in a couple of years where we want it to be. Yeah, we need it. We desperately need it. Bo Dragon's being very positive here in the chat. Um, he says D line started playing better at the, uh, at the end of the last year, at the end of the year, second year of strength guy and uh, recruiting, they will be good to great. This year's defense is going to be surprisingly good, says Bo Dragon. I think well, it will be improved. I'm not sure statistically we'll see a major change, but I think athletically they're going to look a lot better. I, I think, think there's going to be some of those plays that we struggled in, like the third and longs and stuff like that, that they'll just flat out be better and be able to shut down more. I think statistically it will be better because of the linebackers. I mean, simply, simply put, the linebackers... Look, the D-line's got to perform, but the linebackers have got to do their job in, in limiting rush offense because mm -hmm. let's face it, that was an issue for us last year. Our rush defense was not that very good at times. At times, I mean, it was the great. whole front seven. Yeah. Right. So if you've got more speed on the outside, right, with Thomas and Lowry, and you've got better athletes on the inside with Curtis, I mean, you're going to have a better linebacking core, which inherently is going to make your front seven better. And as long as if look, we, we don't know. Jamel Howard could be great. Hills could be great. JTJ could take a step. Johnson and Willer could play. Like there's a lot of unknowns about the defense. So we don't really know how it's how it's going to play out. Obviously, there were times where the defense was good last year. There were times where the defense was really bad. Early games, it was kind of poor. But then, you know, especially later in the year, we we had we ended up being able to shut teams down after we gave them 21 points or 14 points. We spotted them at the beginning of the games, but it was there is still light at the end of the tunnel there. I think the defense should hopefully be set up for, for a strong year, but uh, Justin, any final thoughts before we close the show today? I think we pretty much covered it. <laughs> today was good. Today was good. It was good. I mean, I, I really wanted to talk about the NCAA NIL stuff. I think it's really interesting discussion and there's a lot coming down from that. The court storming thing was good as well, but uh, we've got Indiana this week, Tuesday, um, 6 PM central time. 
at Indiana. I think it's 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 a good one to get a win. If you win that one, then your predictions definitely debunked, which is great because you said one and four. So I'm looking forward to that. And it would be great to actually then have two home games with Illinois and Rutgers coming after back-to-back wins. So mm-hmm. I think it's a really big, really big game for us this week. Very, very tough place to play. Uh, but hopefully the Badgers can get it done, get on a little win streak, continue some excitement as we push towards the end of the season. All right. Thanks for joining us, guys. Again, hit the subscribe button if you like the content we're making. It was a fun show today. We'll be back maybe in the middle of the week, but definitely next weekend uh, to talk about all things Wisconsin as we continue to get closer and closer to March Madness. Be on the lookout for the March Madness special on Selection Sunday. With that, on Wisconsin. On Wisconsin. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy the show, subscribe to our YouTube channel at The Bucky Report or The Bucky Report Podcast from wherever you get your content. Until next time, on Wisconsin.